Hello, listeners, and welcome to The Edge Podcast. I am your host, Leslie Vickery, CEO and founder at ClearEdge. For those of you new to The Edge, we feature executive women in the recruitment industry in an effort to shine the light on the wonderful women leading our industry forward and for up-and-comers. If they can see it, women in executive roles and understand the day in the life of the C-suite, they can certainly envision and be it. For today's episode, it brings me great pleasure to welcome Angela Alberti, co-founder at MyBasePay. Welcome, Angela. Leslie, it is an honor for me to be here. Seriously, I can't believe it. Thank you guys so much for having me on the show. I've listened to several of y'all's episodes and I'm kind of pinching myself right now. Uh, well, I'm remembering like it was yesterday when I was on your podcast. So it's really nice for me to kind of flip the script and bring you on ours and share your story. Thank you. So Angela, you know, I am a big fan of all you do and your passion for the industry. So let's just start out by sharing a little bit before we dive into your background about my base pay for our listeners who may not be familiar with this incredible business you co-founded. Well, thank you again for having me. It's, uh, like I said, an absolute pleasure. I know that we're going to get into a lot of fun things on today's episode, but yeah, my base pay. And it sounds strange, even after having co-founded the business three years ago, seeing what it's flourished into now and, and all of the the sweat, blood and tears to get us here. It's just lovely to be able to be on this type of stage and, and share the story of our organization. From the simplest format, I can explain to you guys, we're an employer of record. So we focus on employing and engaging contingent talent and obviously being in the contingent labor sector. That means that a large part of our audience profile is within the staffing and recruiting space. So oftentimes uh, we are the support system of choice when it comes to assuming the liability for the contract labor, engaging and being able to offer a scalable infrastructure that's built around compliance and regulatory aspects of the ever-evolving world of work. And we also have a financing arm to what we do, being able to fund payroll is a critical component of staffing. And a lot of the agencies that utilize us can alleviate some of those administrative oversight, the liability and the financial risk when it comes to staffing by offsetting it to an outsourced party like ours. So we got our start three years ago when we were able to get funded for 60 million pre-seed. It was actually one of the largest pre-seed rounds that is out there for an employer record platform. We launched publicly in the summer of 2021. And since then, it's been, you know, just a crazy ride. We're all practitioners within staffing. So we understand it. We we speak the language. And I think that that's helped us get to where we are today. Well, fantastic. Thank you, Angela. And I have to say, it's funny when I first met you and you were building the company and then where you are today, it does seem like you are everywhere and really hitting your stride. Your brand is well known. You and Caesar, the other co-founder, are at all of the events with your team and you know, really investing in the industry as not only sponsors, but also projects and areas that you're passionate about. I really appreciate the passion you have for the industry and how you are, you know, really investing in different organizations and events and sponsoring and so forth to put yourselves out there. 
I have to ask you, because I always find this really interesting. Oftentimes the answer is a little bit the same. So I'm curious to hear your story. How did you find the staffing industry? Oh, I love this question. Actually, since I was about four years old, I've wanted to be in staffing. Just kidding. No, <laughs> I was going to say, this is a first. <laughs> no, like, oh, uh, has worked. People are like, <laughs> yeah, no, no. I just wanted to pull your leg That's a little bit fantastic. because it just doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Um, you know, having the ability to study workforce ecosystems and being able to utilize that. Um, and leverage it as a service in supplying staffing. It's it's an industry that finds you without a doubt. And that story is certainly the same with me. I grew up actually wanting to be a broadcast journalist. So I, I went to school. I'm, I'm a native of Houston, Texas. And I went and studied, uh, did a lot of internships at different sister stations like PBS and NBC. And I wanted to be a reporter. And I love journalism. I love writing. I love being able to uh, speak in front and communicate or the science of communication. It really was always my passion. But then, you know, I'm also a child of one of seven with a, a mother. So when I realized what entry-level reporters make, uh, I quickly realized that I had to support myself into the adult world. So I took a, a leap of faith into corporate America and obviously staffing and recruiting being the wonderful entry point for so much great talent. Uh, you know, if you if you have the ability to speak confidently and represent candidates or represent uh, staffing firms and, and account management structures, I, I was offered a job very quickly. So I actually got my start at a smaller staffing agency before having my official real job out of school from the University of Houston at a local employer of record agency. Uh, it was probably one of the first ones that got their start in the early 90s. If you think about employer of record back office support, uh, this firm was called TFI Resources. And since then, I had the chance to really develop myself into the regulatory and compliant aspects of running a back office system. So it's where I got my start. And actually, technically, I've, I've spent very little to no time in staffing or recruiting. So when it comes to talent acquisition and recruiting and, and pounding the phone, uh, most of my experience has actually happened in the composition of the operational stack that happens once that talent has been identified in managing the life cycle aspects of the workers and the financial uh, reconciliations of the unit hours that are processed through. It's been a crazy ride, but that that's actually how I got my start. We have so much in common, Angela. My, I too wanted to start in broadcasting and love and have really? a passion for writing. And yes, I studied journalism and political science and had all of these dreams and ambitions um, that did not come to fruition. However, I do like to think, you know, with what you and I do when we're at events and speaking opportunities and the podcasts and different things that we can channel our inner broadcaster and yes. get it out in different ways to still have the, the thrill and fun of that. It's great to hear these different stories. And you joke about, you know, well, as a young child wanted to be in staffing, 
I do hope one day that there, you know, the industry is so well known that people are, you know, wanting to get into the industry and don't just fall into the industry and that the reputation and brand is so strong that people are drawn and attracted to it. And, you know, you would think with uh, being part of the talent industry where we're really trying to help one of the most important elements of what makes a company successful that people would and will want to be a part of it. So that's exciting to me. It's a big opportunity for our industry. So I think the answers will probably shift over time. Uh, Right now, most people have kind of fallen into it. You know what, though, I will say my colleague, Michelle Berman, we call her Mac. um, She's she's joined our team several weeks ago. And she let me know the other day that there is actually a university program that is focused on workforce studies and staffing them. So I think that we're headed into that direction. Sure, we're there. Yes, I yes. love Michelle. I'm so happy you you landed uh, Michelle. It's a great find. You're Absolutely. again so happy for you and your company and where you're headed. Okay. So I have to say, take a little transition because I want to hear just by way of background, you know, where you came from, how you were raised, how you were turned into the Angela that so many know and love. And I know we both share a point of pride in that we were raised by incredible single moms who instilled such powerful, powerful work ethics in us. So I want to hear about your childhood and how your mom helped shape who you are today. Oh, well, yeah, my gosh. Um, You know, this is a very powerful question, Leslie. And uh, I I do want to just take a step back and recognize that not all of our paths are the same. And and I know and completely understand how everyone always has their story of struggle. Um, So I I love hearing other folks. And I I come from um, a background of, like I mentioned earlier, one of seven kids and all raised by a single mother. My mother came to this country from Central America uh, in the early 80s and um, actually um, had me in the late eighties. So, uh, she was just a few years into it and, and always a woman, um, that instilled the value of building confidence and assurance in her children. Um, we unfortunately did not have a household with mother and father present. So she quickly took on the role of that single mother status and, we struggled. Uh, we struggled as a mother of seven kids who's new to this country would. Um, but I think that she honestly made the best of it. So my mother was very smart in what she knew she had to get her kids in front of. And she understood the value of a good education system and more so the value of bringing up your children into public schools that would eliminate their access to go in through different areas of life. Um, so very quickly, she researched what were some of the best public schools that she could get her children into. And she made sure that she could afford to live in the rental housing areas of that neighborhood that could give her children access to some of the premier public school education systems in Texas. Uh, So that's exactly what she did. Uh, Even though we didn't have a lot of money and even though my mother was working seven days a week, um, seeing her and what she went through to ensure that we were stood up and uh, ready for success was definitely part of that story. And and sometimes, you know, we we had to join the 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 work with her. I, I distinctly remember going through different areas of town and helping her clean offices, throw newspapers, uh, clean houses. It was part of what we had to do 
to essentially survive. But one thing that my mother never limited us in knowing is how much access we have and how much we're capable of and how to be confident and self-aware of what you are able to do. And I think that is one of the greatest gifts that you can give your child is that awareness to know you are in a position that you can change the world because of where we live in and what you have access to. And my mother did that for me. And my mother uh, also made sure that we we were always loved. We may have not had money, but woman loved us and multiplied that love upon us so that we had confidence and also a loving home. And it doesn't necessarily matter your economic background when you can uh, give your kids access to that kind of untangible and very valuable upbringing. Wow, Angela, I just admire your mom so much. And every time I hear you share your story, you add a couple new elements to it. And I, I just so enjoy hearing the story of your family. And the fact that you mentioned two things really stood out to me, the leading with love and even in a situation, I, I think back to um, even my grandparents and other times where people fell on hardship during the depression, let's say, and they led in fear and in fear of, let's say it could be losing your home and losing different things because it was such a hard, hard time. And sometimes when you lead with fear, you leave love behind and don't mm-hmm. find that. And um, that can impact, you know, how generations of families work together. And your mom chose to not lead in fear, which she could have easily done. Um, she led with love and the fact that she instilled such confidence in you and opportunity for you. It just set you up for such great success, you know, whether she realized it in that moment or not. She gave you two of the best gifts we can give our children and our families, which is just leading with love. I know it sounds simple, but unfortunately it comes so hard for so many people mm-hmm. and giving that gift of confidence, which will carry you on, you know, forever. I know how important family is to you so much. So Angela, you actually left a role you were rapidly advancing in when you had your first child. So I'd really love to hear from you kind of what brought you back into the workforce that made sure you could do it while balancing a family that means everything to you. And, you know, listen, you're a founder of a company, a mother, a daughter, all the things in life. Um, I can certainly relate to, you know, what you go through, but I'd love to kind of hear a little bit about that story and where you have landed since then. Yeah. Well, thank you, uh, Leslie. And, and so much to unpack there. Uh, And if I could just revert back to that one comment and leading with love in in your household. So my my mother um, probably grew up in a level of poverty that not a lot of people in this country will know. And unfortunately, she wasn't giving a loving household. So one of the things that she decided to do was to change that generational impact that that had on her to her children. And, And I think that we're all in a position to do that. And maybe if we have families and maybe if we don't, we have a way to leave our mark in others and we have a way to leave our mark in others that is bettering what we received as humans uh, and or in our own personal experiences. So just wanted to throw that out there because it definitely connects to your question on family and how important it is. And I think to really understand this question is to kind of like position myself and where I was at 
in 2019. And, and I had the wonderful opportunity of spending a lot of my career at one of the largest global employer of record platforms that is out there and has ever existed uh, by the name of People 2.0. And I've met some fantastic people there that I still continue to remain in contact with. But it was a very difficult time because as quickly as my career was growing, I found myself in a position where I was the VP of North America. Um, but a lot of my career path was being I kind of siloed into two different areas. I, it's like almost like when you are on a path and you can go this way or you can go the other way. And I knew that if I continued on the path that I was on, I was going to make some sacrifices because of the amount of oversight and investment that that role needed. Uh, and I wanted to have another child. I was able to have my daughter in 2018, just a year prior to that after struggling with infertility and with miscarriage. And I say all of these things, and I'm, I might be extremely blunt when I say it, but I say it because I think we've all gone through these things. So I knew the value of what kind of environment I had to place myself in to be able to grow my family. And that wasn't it. So I abruptly made the decision to leave that organization, even with a flourishing career and future that was promised. And I, I tell you what was the largest point of support for me at that time was my husband. And it is the fact that throughout any sort of path that I've chosen to take, he has the utmost support. And in a similar fashion that my mother has instilled that confidence and self-assurance, my husband has done the same thing as well. So it's almost like your life starts to develop who these characters are around you that help continue to uplift you. And that's exactly what he did. So I did try to become a stay-at-home mom and I hated it. So it's not for me. I tried it for three months. I, I gave it a good go. I did. But I have a lot of respect for people that can be stay-at-home parents. Um, but I quickly found myself wanting to be in work again. And that's where I had the wonderful opportunity to reconnect with Caesar and be able to pitch in front of a group of investors that got us up and started in 2020 and got us that enormous funding round. So it all happened so quickly, but it's funny because I, I always tell this story. And I think I mentioned it at the Thrive Conference a couple of weeks ago, when I was in this position to to, to be able to start the company or go back to People 2.0, my mom was like, no, 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 Mija. no, 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 you go back go back to people 2.0. They love you. You stable. You got the money. You could grow. And my husband, on the other hand, was like, no, you've got this. You can do the startup. You are a co-founder. So it's almost funny how a mother can innately create that security blanket for her child who she wants protected, but also the, the male counterpart in, in my life at that time and continues to be my husband gave me the confidence to say, you have got this. You can do it. And I did. I took the leap of faith with the guidance of and blessing of my husband. And here we are. Aw, I love that story. Well, I have to say our shared love for the staffing industry is really strong. And, you know, you mentioned the love and strength of your mother and obviously your husband and the support system who surrounds you every single day and helps you, you know, make decisions and, and so forth. But we also have a shared passion for helping the industry improve when it comes to representing women in the higher ranks of, of leadership. And you took that leap of faith. You bet on yourself, basically, and said, I know I can do this. And you were right. And now you're a founder and a C-suite executive. 
What advice do you have for other leaders in the similar position and business owners for supporting women as they look to advance and lead in our own industry of which you and I both know we need more more women in those leadership roles? What, what would you tell them? What's your advice for them? I would say really dig into what position you want your organization to lend to the overall improvement and scale of women in leadership roles, because it's not as, as simple as, you know, this one fact, there's many layers of, of, of it involved, but do you truly care about it? And do you truly want to see women represented in the higher ranks of leadership? Because if the answer is yes, then that's half of the battle. And furthermore, do your stakeholders, do your other leadership have that same mission to drive change throughout the organization? So if the answer is yes, then there's many different ways that you can look to incorporate and help build women's future. And 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 I don't want to get into um, all of the work that we still have left to do and all of the stats that as much improvement it looks like we are making, it's like, oh my gosh, we have so much to go. But I will say, you know, as something as simple as really looking at um, your, your roles that you have identifiable, is that, is that something that can be fulfilled in um, a leadership position by uh, females that have been in your organization for some time that you wouldn't traditionally see? Are you giving yourself the ability and the culture to be really an enabler of women and young or any kind of mother in the workplace, which usually requires a certain type of level of flexibility, knowing a lot of the different things that mothers are dealing with. I'd also say, what are you doing beyond the mentorship program to ensure that you're championing for these folks and, and for these women that um, are capable of being in these positions? It's, it's scary to see the lack of women uh, in these roles and the lack of women of color that are in these roles. And, and I'm completely cognizant of the fact that I'm a millennial Latina that's uh, in this position. And I think what we have done on our team, which we're very proud of, is we've created a, uh, a majority leadership team that is composed of women. And that had to really get down into, are we comfortable with lending to a culture that is conducive for mothers that are getting back into the workspace and that are balancing motherhood through that process? Is it also re properly reflected in our talent acquisition strategies? Um, are we doing what we can to continue to mentor and, and help put the people that we want to see in those promotional uh, positions up to the board and up for consideration? It really begins with wanting it and looking at maybe some of those other, other strategies to instill it. Well, and I have to commend you. I mean, no better person to lead your company through this than under your leadership, Angela, in the sense that, you know, look at your story from the people 2.0 and then having your baby and the struggles that you had with infertility and a miscarriage and wanting to make sure that you were at a company who really respected that where, and thank you, by the way, for being vulnerable and transparent and talking about it, because I agree, the more we talk about it, the more people will realize that they're, you know, that they're not alone, but it takes that type of leadership. When you start something, you can actually create it at that foundation level. It's in the DNA of your company. There's no way to get around that. You and Caesar set that up from the very, very beginning that that's how you were going to be. It is a lot harder for companies when they're big and 
you know, aren't as agile and can't change, but you gave really great examples of things that they can do to start making those changes for them. But I really commend you at the outset of starting your company to know who you are, to have that purpose and passion and, you know, make sure that you set it up for success in that, in that way. Um, it isn't easy regardless of, you know, which stage or section you are of doing it, but it certainly sends a really strong message when you can do that at the foundation level of, of a company. And it's something that others can learn from and, and emulate as they're looking to shift and move or start um, something else. So kudos to you all for doing that. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. All right, let's talk allyship for a minute. So we've heard about your husband and you've mentioned Caesar, but one of your mentors and business partners is Caesar Jimenez, who also is a great ally for underrepresented talent across our industry. And he's really looking to advance opportunities for all. Would you maybe share how his support and those of other allies have made a difference in your career path? So the importance of allyship and, and wow, Cesar Jimenez and what he has represented, not just in my career, but generally in my life. And I think <laughs> I almost look at him as the guardian angel. It's like the guardian angel, the, the man that believed in the capabilities that so often I have struggled to find my own self-confidence and knowing that existed and, and having that person that champions for you and and throughout your career is there is absolutely an underscore of what somebody like that can do but just going in through the story so it's it's funny because Caesar and I actually got our start when I was at people 2.0 it was somebody that you know he he having been in the staffing industry we had the opportunity to meet at a tech serve event and through that we we hit it off because we had similar backgrounds right caesar actually grew up uh in brooklyn new york um he has a, a puerto rican background uh definitely not an easy story but it's his story to tell so i won't get too much into it but uh spent some time in the navy and grew up in staffing and i believe that the experience that he may have had as being perhaps an underrepresented group really pushed him to be to change the narrative and really know what kind of positioning he could have in other people's career in doing that. And I and I without a doubt think that he has made uh, some great strides for countless people, but myself included. And it goes down to those, you know, those those pillars of people in my life, like my mom, like my husband, like Caesar, that that believe in you and that are there to lift you when you are uh, have these moments of self-doubt. And if you can really know who your tribe are and and have those that can uplift you throughout the somebody like Caesar is it's definitely been that person for me. And I can't speak highly enough of what he's doing and what he's doing across the globe when it comes to uplifting talent communities all throughout Latin, building his staffing business and also building my base pay and the leadership team that's throughout us. But it began with that one phone call in, you know, in 2020, where he said, hey, I, I think I would want you to pitch this EOR business with me. And I couldn't believe it. But uh, absolutely, he believed enough in us uh, to take us that step forward. And ever since then, it's been a continual stride of somebody being an ally and somebody recognizing that not only do we want to have 
that female representation. We also want to have that minority. And we also recognize that we don't look like the typical tech owners. And, and we love that. And, and what can we do to help others in that same position so that they can see themselves in a future event being in that same sort of capacity? So that's what Caesar's been for my career. Well, Caesar is such a force, Angela. I know really just is. the conversations I've had with him, he is so kind and generous with his time. And I have to tell you, like the text messages he'll send me directly about our team just to make sure he's giving, you know, positive feedback about the work we're doing. And you just have this feeling like he's got your back in such a strong, powerful way that you can almost do anything. And he is, it's just truly incredible. So you're both so fortunate to have kind of come together and, and create this and, and do this, this journey together. And, you know, one you know, of I call, I have uh, five brothers and I call Caesar, my uh, Puerto Rican sixth brother. I didn't Aww. know I wanted or needed, but you know, he's been there, that person that mentors you, uplifts you, instills confidence, positivity, and, you know, you can learn from them, but you know, that, you know, that person, when they are in groups of other people, putting you out there, right? And 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 how can we look to embody that for others that are in underrepresented groups when we have the position to speak on them or we have the position to introduce them? And Leslie, you have absolutely been a pillar of somebody like that as well for so many other women across the board. So just wanted to give you a shout out too, because you. you are extremely special. That's very kind of you. Thank you so much. And I, I would say I was just listening to an ASA webinar today on how we can make change for women in the staffing industry. And one of the topics and points that came up was about being a sponsor. And, you know, it's one thing to be a mentor and someone you kind of look up to and learn from, but the sponsor piece, when they say your name, when you're not in the room and put you up for those opportunities and have that utmost trust and confidence in you that they're willing to do that. Uh, is what we need more of. You're a thousand percent correct. And Caesar is one of those people. I can attest to it and confirm it. He puts our name out there. He'll send me a text. I just told so-and-so about you. I'll get that <laughs> introduction out. I'm like, thank you, um, you know, for doing that. And it's yeah. just so kind, but that sponsorship is so critical to making change in our, in our industry for sure. You mentioned a little bit about Caesar's background and your background, and I think it's the perfect segue for talking about how your team at MyBasePay just really views greater opportunity for the world and perhaps share with us how you've expanded into Latin America. Yeah. So uh, like everything, like the 100% of the things that we've done at MyBasePay, this is completely unplanned because when well, I would say that we did have some level of planning, but we definitely didn't envision us into being a compliant EOR partner that is specializing in regions around the world, but predominantly Latin America. Um, but it kind of happened in the organic trajectory of our pipeline and where we were identifying the needs of many different enterprise organizations when it comes to outsourcing certain segments of their business model, um, which was once considered in areas like APAC, right? Like India or Philippines. Um, we found that the American enterprise client is looking for a more proximity when it comes to these outsourced departments. And how can we really tap into that to the staffing audience that we service? So we created a model that allows 
the staffing members on our platform to be able to position themselves also as a consultative partner and being able to offer these outsourced departments through the infrastructure that our EOR service provides. And it actually has grown and flourished. We, ha we have folks all throughout South and Central America um, but we also have folks that work internally through our own team in Central America. The very uh, accounts that are being serviced uh, to this day are being supported by folks that are working in Honduras. I think we've got over 30 folks there now are, are on our way to, to hit that number. Um, and that is so significant to me, Leslie, because Although we didn't necessarily plan to have an office space in Honduras, the country where my mother was born and raised, where my husband is from, my children are made up 75% Honduran. Um, it, it just happened because we interviewed our, our first Honduran talent, Norma, and she's still with us. And Norma's absolutely fantastic. But just to come in and support us in payrolling. And we said, well, why not? She's in a different country, but we're going to find a way to payroll her and be compliant in the manner that we did it. Um, and then it grew and grew and grew and grew, and it's going to continue to grow for us. But what that does is make a generational change. It does because we are building these economic talent pool powerhouses um, in these very disadvantaged third world countries. And it, it's amazing to and a privilege to be able to see what the stability of a career can do to somebody's outcome in a country where we as Americans may not necessarily have full access to that vast impact of change that it can have. Um, so it's one of our missions. We also have co-locations in Costa Rica and, and Colombia, uh, and we're just getting started. Uh, and, and we're at quite uh, honestly very fortunate to be in this position because not only are we changing the trajectory of so many lives down there, but we're also servicing what we've identified to be a true need in this growing and evolving uh, workforce ecosystem of not considering offshore talent, but nearshore talent all throughout Latin America. You know, Angela, when you get asked the question, you know, what were, you know, what was the moment when you are most proud of for your company or kind of pinch me moments in your business when you realized you're doing something really special and forget about the, you know, obviously the revenue growth is important, but when you share that story and the personal just alignment with your lives, your mom, your husband, you, your children, and to make that generational wealth change and difference, and then take that one example and turn it into such growth. It's just, it's truly remarkable. That has to top your list, be one of the top things of a super proud moment when you see that passion and purpose kind of meld and come together. Yeah, it it really does. And it actually makes me hungrier to grow and build it even further. Because when you see the impact of what we're doing, my my mom always said that the most sacred thing that we have in life, and it's a law, is it's the law to work. We 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 have to have a purpose and we have to know how to drive and contribute to society based off of that. Um, and a meaningful career or a stable job. And what that translates to to somebody in in a in a country where maybe they don't have access to the same type of resources that we do here is really meaningful. And take it a step further by knowing that, you know, your your mom came from that country, and and it's it's super special. So thank you. Oh, good. Well, another one of your passions. Speaking of the opportunity here 
is studying workforce trends and patterns. And I can't let you leave. This will be my last question for you. But when you think of our industry, what are a few of your biggest predictions for the future of work? Ooh, the future of work. My goodness. Well, I don't think it can be called the future of any work right now. It's like, it should be like the current state of work now because (laughs) that's what it is. We're living and breathing in the future work ideologies. Many analysts were saying weren't going to happen until 2025 and 2027. They're happening now. And we can probably predict that the fact that the pandemic has absolutely, without a doubt, pressed fast forward on everything, put a halt on what we thought was traditional work and made us all live into a world of how work and really question how work can be delivered. So thank you to you, COVID, because now we are in the future of work. And when you think about the future of work, um, it's exciting to see where it could go even further. But there's many different, I would say, fundamental aspects that we can take into consideration that are going to change what we think of as the typical narrative of delivering work. One of them, and this is obvious, um, but technology, not just the utilization of technology, uh, the seamless communications that we can have with one another in technology, but really looking at how AI is playing a a role into how we deliver work and how it's going to continue to expand into different uh, forms of talent that is going to have to deliver on the continuous upkeeping of AI. Um, Also automation and what that means um, when we can reduce certain redundant tasks or even uh, entire workforce industries because of what automation and AI can do. So although it could be eliminating certain roles, it definitely is going to give a wonderful platform to open up a new world of work, just those two facets alone. Um, So outside of technology, we know definitely at the forefront of that as well, um, largely due to the pandemic and what it did to remote work is globalization. So staffing agency owners definitely have to find themselves in a position on whether or not they're going to tap into the need to support globalized workforces for their clients and not just full-time roles or direct hire roles, which many agencies can do, but contract and contingent labor. Uh, It's going to be a definite rise. We'll get into why I think that is, but uh, remote work and globalized workforces all throughout are going to be areas that staffing agency owners are going to be poised to be responsive to or to just be pre- start preparing for right now. And partnering with organizations that can provide you the infrastructure to do that can lead to a more responsive strategy with your clients so that you can say yes to, oh, yes, that that outsourced department in Latin America, or yes, that Phil that has taken a, hi- taken a hiatus to Paris, France for 19 months or whatever it is. Um, definitely globalization is at the cusp of this. And then lastly, contingent contingent talent and contingent labor. I think the day where traditionally we spend decades at the same organization and look to retire with them, that day is gone for the most part. We know that this is happening for many different reasons, but we have kind of a perfect storm in front of us. We have organizations that are needing to be responsive to their workforce loads. So they need agility. They need to be able to scale up. They need to be able to scale down. There's uncertainties all around us in the globe uh, as it, and happening right now as we speak economically, politically, 
the workforce departments of organizations need to be reflective to the agile nature that we are living in. Um, but to that end, we also have millennials and Gen Zers that, man, I think they prefer this job placement to job placement to job placement kind of mentality. They are very much a generation that really values the reskilling, the upskilling, the continual learning and the continual fast pace. So it's almost like you got your clients that need it. You got your uh, talent that is going to soon be demanding it. Studies indicate that one out of every two workers in the next five years are going to be contingent in nature. So what are we all doing to prepare ourselves for this very true and real event that's happening and will continue to grow are, are part of these future of work ideologies. And this is really where I start to geek out, Leslie. So I'll pause there. <laughs> I, I was just thinking to myself, you need a podcast just on this topic. Get you on <laughs> Um, I, I absolutely love it. And sadly, we are just about out of time. I want to just ask you a couple quick rapid fire questions. And I so love and appreciate your, your passion and predictions and, and so forth. So thank you so much for sharing. I flipped this question a little bit. I just want to know what advice your younger self would tell you today. Uh, what advice would I give my younger self today? Uh, I would tell her, Angela, you are a lot smarter and more confident than you think, and you can do it. Oh, okay. I'm going to flip it on you though. What would she tell you today? To oh, what would she oh. tell me today? Yes. We did it. Oh, I love it. We did it. Yeah. Do you have any daily rituals? Yeah. So, uh, Leslie, I'm, I'm a strong person of faith. I don't, there's not a day where I don't wake up and give thanks to God for the wonderful opportunity that I have in front of me and the children that I've been graced with the husband that I have and, um, the family that surrounds that. So I definitely have that as my daily ritual. And I try to work out as much as I can, um, most days every week. Oh, good. Same. Mm -hmm. I need to go do it yet today. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get there. You'll get there. I gotta get out and do a quick hike. All right. If you could stop something and start something, what would it be? Ooh, this one's so easy. And I swear I will get to it. I will stop scrolling and start reading. Lord knows I need to do it, but that's going to be a goal. I think I need to get there before the year. And I don't want to fall asleep on my phone. I want to fall asleep reading and put my nose in a book and not on a screen. Oh, super smart. So then I guess if I ask you the question, what are you reading, listening to, or watching? It could nope. be fun too. Yeah. So uh, I am reading Atomic Habits. It's the second time that I've read it. I really love the premise behind it. it's not the goal, it's the process. What are you doing every single day to further discipline yourself? What am I listening to? Uh, I love listening to podcasts. This is my uh, shameless plug. I listen to podcasts when I'm working out, when I'm out on walks. It really has become a newfound hobby for me this year. I know I'm late in the game. Um, and what am I watching? I haven't, I don't remember the last time I've watched TV because usually uh, Coco Melon is on or some <laughs> form of, uh, what is it, Nico and Diana. I mean, there's all these kids things that I usually have to have on the TV to when I'm not working. Oh my goodness. I can appreciate that for sure. Well, Angela, thank you so, so much for joining us today and sharing your story and just being so open and, and vulnerable. 
to lay all your cards out there. Um, I know I myself am walking away with a lot to think about. I know the listeners will be too. So that said, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, what's your preferred method of outreach? Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. Leslie, thank you for having me on this uh, show. You make it very open and feeling like we can be transparent and vulnerable in that. So I appreciate you and I appreciate what everything that you're doing for the industry in general. Um, Y'all can find me on LinkedIn, Angela Alberti, Albert with the Y at the end. Feel free to reach out to me, connect with me on there. My email address, I have no issue putting it out here. It's Angela at mybasepay.com. I'm happy to connect with you all. I think it's been a true pleasure and an honor to be on this show, Leslie. So thank you once again. Oh my goodness. It's an honor to have you, my friend. Thank you for joining us. And I look forward to more conversations and more learnings with you. Thank you for everything, Angela. Yes, absolutely. Thank you guys too.